Hi, this is Erica Bogan. Thank you for listening to the I Am Spartan podcast with Scott Knowles. Scott the Fane Knowles, and you're listening to another episode of I'm a Spartan OCR Podcast. What's up, everybody? It's my 150th episode. It's been a long time coming for sure, since 2017, and I just want to say thank you for everybody that's listened this far. I'm sure there's a lot of people that thought that this podcast would never make it to 150 episodes, including me myself. Uh, There's been definitely some difficult times doing this podcast for sure. It's, you know, it's time consuming, but, you know, it's been a very good experience. I've met a lot of people because of it. I've talked to some great people because of it, and I've got some great friendships out of it. And that's probably the best thing that's came out of this podcast to me personally is a lot of people that I've interviewed are now my friends, and I get to talk to them and hang out with them at races And for me, that's been the best experience for this. And I would just like to take this time and just say thank you to everybody out there that listens, that comes up to me and says hello at the races and messages me on Instagram or Facebook. You know, I just want to say thank you and I appreciate it. Um, Also, go and check out my show's new sponsor, Monkey Grips. That's monkey with two E's. Um, they got a cool Instagram page. Go and give them a follow, even if you're not interested in the product, and give them some love. They make these cool uh, rope-hanging attachments that you can hang on a pull-up bar. You can put them on barbells. You can put them on dumbbells for farmer's carries. I've got the rope grips myself for doing hanging pull-ups. I really love them for the farmer's carries especially, especially after you've already like maxed out your pull-ups, but you still want to just attack your grip really hard. You put them on some dumbbells and walk around with them. They work really good. He's also got a, a monkey fist type knot in the shape of like a cannonball too. And you can also take that and loop it around a pull-up bar as well. And they also sell liquid chalk. But anyway, go and uh, check out their Instagram page and give them a follow for me if you would, please. I've got an awesome episode. I've been wanting to get her on for quite some time. Callie Schweikart tells us all about, mostly about, you know, World's Toughest Mudder, you know, because she was getting ready to do the uh, Spartan Ultra World Championship and that race got canceled So then she leaned into World's Toughest Mudder and had a great experience, and she's going to tell us all about that. It was a good episode. I hope you enjoy it. Callie Schweikart, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. It's I was on vacation all last week, so yesterday was Monday. Uh, I went to the Smoky Mountains and just pretty much just went hiking all week. You know, it was like kind of like nice hiking where you just went for like a day hike and then you come back to the resort and chilled and then the next day you went out for another hike <laughs> that's the oh, way that i like to amazing hike. <laughs> yes yeah, was, i kind of like that yeah, yeah that's an I, ideal vacation right i like that as far as like going out and hiking for like days and having to like camp <laughs> in the cold weather not so much yeah, I could see that. I've actually, I've been wanting to try backpacking really badly. I, I haven't before, but um, I can see the allure of a, uh, a resort stay instead. <laughs> yeah, so we usually like, I mean, we, we'll day hike where we'll like take a pack, you know, and like pack a lunch in it and stuff like yeah. that, but nothing like carrying stuff to last like a whole weekend, you know. I imagine that yeah, would get... Yeah, that's intense. Yeah, that would get a lot more intense for sure. <laughs> so, um... Callie, uh, tell us a little bit about like where you're from and what do you do for a living these days? Sure. Um, I was born in Cold Spring, New York, which is about an hour north of New York City. It's a very small town, kind of uh, upstate, but uh, not really upstate. Um, and it's uh, surrounded by beautiful mountains in the Hudson Valley. So I was always... Um, a big fan of getting outdoors. My family was very active, uh, is very active. And I'm just very fortunate to have grown up there. Um, 
I recently moved to uh, Colorado and recently at mid-2020, I moved in the summer of 2020, mm -hmm. um, to a little town called Nederland, which is just outside of Boulder. And um, that's been the most incredible experience. It's felt like home ever since I got here. Awesome. Um, but it's beautiful and um, also another great place to explore and be outside. So, um, and in terms of what I'm doing now for a living, um, my main uh, job is as a private tutor. I've been tutoring since um, I was in college, and I mostly work with kids in um, middle school and lower high school level math, like algebra and geometry. Um, and that's something I've, I've always loved to, to learn and to teach. And um, it's a great, uh, flexible schedule job, but it's also a very rewarding job. So that's my main thing. And then um, trying to make a go at the, uh, the athlete life on the side. So is this like online tutoring or is it in-person tutoring? It started off as in-person. Um, and when COVID hit, um, I was actually still at home. Uh, so I started doing a home meeting in New York. Um, I started doing virtual sessions with the clients I had there. And that kind of just stuck um, and enabled me to move when I did because at that point, everything I was doing was virtual. And now it's at the point where all of my clients are virtual and I have, um, I still have a bunch from back home in New York. Um, I have one in California. Um, and then sometimes I uh, meet in person with anyone if there's demand in Boulder in the Colorado area. So it's a mix. Okay. That's pretty cool. So, um, was, is, was that, did that give you the opportunity to move to Colorado? What, I mean, what was the reason why you moved? Was it just something you always wanted to do? Callie, are you there? Did you mute? My bad. I think my ear hit mute on my phone. Sorry. Um, it's a very interesting story, actually, um, in terms of how I ended up in Colorado. Um, the tutoring did enable me to move there for sure because everything I was doing at the time was remote. So I didn't have, have to worry about that, which was great. But um, it was actually... Uh, I was uh, on the beach in Cape Cod. Uh, that's where my family often spends time in the summer. Um, it's where my parents are full-time now. But uh, I just remember checking my Instagram messages, and um, I actually had a uh, message from my friend Johnny Luna Lima, who at the time I didn't know very well, but he's obviously a very successful obstacle course racing athlete. And mm -hmm. um, we're around the same age, and we had met at a race before and then um, had just corresponded since through social media. But it was kind of came out of nowhere um, asking me if I ever had any interest in moving to Colorado because him and his girlfriend, Bailey had um, a house there that they were looking for um, roommates to come in and uh, be a part of. So I uh, think, I guess they figured, well, I'm on the younger side. I don't have a family and like a house that I'm tied down to. Mm -hmm. um, and I just love, you know, the outdoors. I love training. It's a perfect place for it. So they figured they would ask. And, uh, I'm not a spontaneous person, but, um, I said yes, pretty much on the spot <laughs> and, uh, figured it out from there. Um, and it was just, I had never been to Colorado. I had always wanted to go, but, uh, I really didn't want to pass up on this really random, but amazing opportunity. I bet the trails there that you get to like hike and run are just amazing. Oh, there! It's so beautiful. I mean, I was spoiled in that growing up where I was in New York. We ha also had beautiful trails there, uh, but a totally different type. So where I was from, uh, very technical, rocky, rudy, that Appalachian Trail type mm -hmm. uh, trail. Um, so that's a challenge, but also a, a um, very beautiful type of trail. It's super fun. Um, but coming out here, you get, you can get that kind of stuff, uh, if you want, if you seek it out or you get the groomed manicured smooth trails, you get the relentless climbs, you get the 14ers, you get everything. And it's just, um, it's more than I could have ever imagined or asked for. You know, and that's one thing about like, you know, the Smokies and like the Appalachian trail is most of those trails, you have to put in some work before you get to a point where it has like a big open view across the valley just because there's so right. forest dense. And every time I see like people that I follow out west, you know, whether they're in Utah or Colorado, you know, or California, they it just looks like the whole trail is just a scenic view. And that, that always makes me want to go out there and do some trail running. 
Oh, it's definitely worth a visit for sure. We have uh, we have our fair share of pretty awesome trails. And then, yeah, sometimes you're working to get above tree line, but even in the forest, it's like, um, it's just a different type of beautiful. Yeah. Cause like in the Smokies, like during the summer, everything's just so grown up. You really have to, you know, put in a, at least a, a three miles plus, you know, before you can get to a good scenic view, you know, and it's going you know, wow. up pretty good too. But it doesn't, I love trail running. It doesn't matter what the trail looks like, you know? So, um, awesome. don't you also have like, um, a, a training, uh, business too where you do strength training or somewhat i do yes um th- that's more of a an on the side thing but um i am a certified strength and conditioning specialist so um i help a few clients with their strength training um some i have a client who's focusing more on the spartan side of things and then i have one who has recently wanted to get in the high rocks um so it's a mix but yes i did get certified in 2019 and i love um helping people figure out their training and um working with them to find something that's enjoyable to them and sustainable because that's the big thing is can you continue doing it for um the foreseeable future and does it make you happy right so if anybody wants to reach out to you for like tutoring or for like strength training just reach out to you on instagram is that the best way Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, I'm on Facebook as well under my name. I know that's not as much of a thing <laughs> anymore. People don't right. use it as much, but um, yeah, my my Instagram, I'll, I check my requests pretty regularly, but uh, C. Schweik is my uh, username, just C and then the first half of my last name. Yes, and I noticed on there that you do, um, oh, what is it called? Uh, you do Music Mondays where you sing a song <laughs> every Monday? I do. Um, so that's another, I, I have a bunch of like little hobbies that I enjoy outside of racing and obviously like my job, but, um, yeah, mu- uh, music has been a big part of my life for a long time and I've always loved to sing. Um, and I think I shared one little tidbit on my stories one time and I got a few people just saying like, you should share more of these. So, um, I figured why not? Cause I I'm singing anyway, so might as well record it if I want to. And, um, every so often I'll try to share a little clip on a Monday of something that, uh, a song that is special to me for some reason or a new one that I heard and like can't get out of my head. So, uh, yeah, it's just a little, little side thing that, um, I like and people seem to enjoy at least hearing new music and I always appreciate people's feedback. So it's fun. Yeah, and you got like a streak going, is it like over a hundred weeks now? Right. Uh, that, um, <laughs> that's actually a different one. That's, um, fun fact Friday. So that started a long, long time ago. Oh. Um, and that was a, Thing. I, I ended up posting a, a fun fact of some sort. I think it was about Beats for a Human, um, mm. the, the Beatley company. Right. Um, and I kind of just started posting a fun fact every Friday, and then it turned into more like a fun fact about me kind of thing. And mm. that's the one with a pretty long streak that has, um, I think – it's over 200 now. Oh, wow. um, so <laughs> I'm like, sometimes it's hard to think of things to post, but at the same time, <laughs> I'm like, I got to keep this streak going. So that's pretty cool. So <laughs> thank you. So, so Callie, tell us about a little bit about your, you know, your background in sports and how you found like your first OCR race that you did. Sure. Um, so as I mentioned, I grew up in an active household and my parents were both athletes and, um, we were encouraged to just try, um, whatever sports we wanted to. Uh, my father was a goalkeeper and, um, he was the coach of my rec soccer team. So, uh, I got into soccer very early on, probably like there's pictures of me kicking a ball around when I was like three or four. Hmm. Um, and when I was old enough to, I played on, um, the youth teams and, uh, I, I kind of got forced <laughs> to be the goalkeeper because uh, my dad was the coach and no one wanted to play keeper and he didn't want to make any other kids upset. So he, <laughs> he made me go and goal. Um, and at the time I was uh, not thrilled, uh, but I soon really came around to it and started loving it. Um, and so my dad kind of became my coach and mentor all throughout high school. And um, I ended up getting recruited to Boston University as a goalkeeper. Um On the side in high school, I was also playing basketball, which was kind of like my quote unquote fun sport. Um, Mm -hmm. The one I just did because I loved it. I didn't really care too much about my performance, but at the same time, I was still very competitive and we had a solid team. So love basketball. Um, I basically love anything active, but soccer and basketball were the main things. Um, I played at Boston University for a year and uh, I actually left BU after that freshman year because of a number of things. I was 
pretty burnt out on soccer at that point. I had always dealt with uh, performance anxiety and games were never something that I was mentally equipped to handle. Um, Mm. And it was just a lot for me. Um, And it became just kind of overwhelming. Um, it became like a job instead of something I love to do. And, um, I was just homesick, um, you know, classic, like overwhelming freshman year experience. Um, I was dealing with, um, and I've been pretty open about this on my social media, but, um, I was struggling with an eating disorder at the time that I kind of like really, uh, kind of hit the bottom or the, the worst of it at that point. So it all kind of came to a head and I, uh, took a gap year because I really needed to figure out what I wanted to do, um, what my life would be like without soccer and, um, how to get healthy. And, um, in that gap year, my good friend Kate from high school, who I had played soccer with for a long time, she randomly sent me a message one day saying, Hey, uh, my friend just did this thing called a Spartan race. And I think this is something you'd really love to do. Um, and she could not have been more right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, it's crazy to think how life-changing of a message that was, um, because that just kind of turned my life on its head. It was in 2015, it was the New Jersey Spartan Super, um, and I was absolutely in love as soon as the race started. I was like, this is the coolest thing, um, and I didn't really know there was an elite or competitive side at the time. Um, it was only after, like, almost two years of just doing every doing one for fun every so often that I decided or that I found out that you could compete and then that I wanted to take it seriously. So, um, that's how I got into the sport. And then it's just been since then testing out the different distances and the different types of races. Um, but Spartan will always have my heart for sure. Right. And so like when you did your first race, what was it about it that made you want to, you know, continue to do it and then pursue it? as you know as an elite (laughs) well i guess i think uh it was the the feeling of kind of carefreeness (laughs) for lack of a better word that i had out there just being in the trails um the new jersey venue is actually one of my favorites people here in new jersey and they automatically dismiss it but it's actually quite beautiful um Mm. it's a very rugged um little mini it was an old ski resort um so it's in the fall you've got the foliage and um the trails are pretty techy and fun to navigate and it just felt like you were out there like a kid playing in the woods again um and i failed basically everything that you could fail (laughs) i had no experience with grip strength i had barely been running really um but I still did relatively well in the open I think I think I got like 11th out of a thousand or something so it was just like for fun and I didn't really take it as competitive but at the same time I was like oh well maybe I am kind of decent at this um (laughs) I look back now and I'm like wow I had a lot to improve on but um yeah it was that that sense of just freedom that uh came from being out there and being able to try all these fun new challenges that are not things we get to do anymore as adults, like swinging from things and jumping in water and running in the woods. Mm. And over the years, you know, you've moved your way through the ranks and weren't, you were on the pro team for a few years too, is correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, so I made the pro team in, um, 2019. Um, I know there isn't, as of this year, there is, it isn't a thing anymore, but, um, that was an amazing experience for sure. Um, to be a part of that and uh, get introduced to so much, so many more athletes in the community. And um, yeah, that's, that's something I'll never forget or take for granted. That's for sure. How do you feel about the way Spartans direction is going this year? You know, getting rid of the burpees, Mm. getting rid of the pro team, going to this new, you know, three K race where it's looped and you're doing the obstacles over and over again. How do you feel about it? I, I'm not thrilled about a lot of it. Um, I think the 3K format personally doesn't appeal to me as someone who um, I love the the longer distances. I recently got into ultras this year, and I feel like that's uh, a, more of a strength of mine. And I think 3K not only is it much shorter, it's um, it also is just very limiting in what you're able to see when you're out on course. Um, it just detracts from the value of these venues where um, Mm -hmm. you're going there for the adventure. And 
I personally don't want to go to a race for the highlight to be running around this kilometer long track where you're not seeing anything. It's no longer an adventure. It's a, like a repeat track race kind of thing. Um, I think it's a cool premise, but I wish it hadn't just fully replaced the series. Um, and I think the, I think Spartans just struggling to find like their, to settle, you know, to, to find what works and stick with it. I, I think they've been all over the place for a while now. And um, unfortunately it's just caused some, some confusion and some issues amongst the company and the athletes and everything. That was a great answer to that question. You know, that it was <laughs> just, it was to the point, And I think it covered probably what 75% of, you know, most people that are into the sport probably feel the same way. And the way you just answered that question, I think, was perfectly done. Perfect. Well, thank you. Because I, I <laughs> feel the same I've had a lot of time way. to think about it. <laughs> I noticed you got into ultras last year, and uh, you placed first in Utah and Kelowna, and you were preparing for Spartan Ultra Worlds, and then it got canceled, and they were letting everybody transfer to World's Toughest Mudder. How did you feel about that when that happened? Uh, I, I won't, I won't lie. I was pretty devastated. Um, Tahoe had been the Tahoe 24 hour race was, um, basically the main thing I had been training for since I crewed Rhea Cobal in Telluride the year prior and saw how cool a 24 hour race, a 24 hour Spartan could be. Um, and since that point I was like, I need to do this next year. And, um, they chose to hold it in Tahoe, which is one of my favorite venues of all time. So I was just so excited. I put so much into preparing for that event um, and really wanted a shot at, you know, a world championship level podium. Um, but yeah, the news that it had been canceled <laughs> was quite hard. Um, it's It was a bummer and it took me a, a while to come around to the idea of world's toughest just because one I had never done a tough mutter um two I knew the venue would be completely different and um three I was just not sure if I wanted to uh try that type of race where you can help your competitors and the obstacles are so different and some of the penalties are more jokes than they are <laughs> fitness things. Right. Um, it was quite an interesting flip. Um, so yeah, I was not, I was hoping maybe they would reschedule or find a different menu or something. I think a lot of us were, um, but it, it was nice that they offered us the transfer to world's toughest as an option. However, it didn't feel like it wasn't the option I would have chosen. That's for sure. Right. So when you, finally decided that hey you know ultra world champions isn't going to happen i'm going to go do this event was there anything that you did to prepare for it at that point yeah um i think it took me it probably took me a week or two to come around to the idea of world's toughest um so that means i had about a little over a month to prepare from that point forward. And my main thing was getting the logistics, um, like understanding the logistics. And fortunately I had a few friends who were experienced in that arena, uh, namely Chris Mendoza. He was a huge help in, um, basically telling me everything I needed to know. He actually gave me one of his old wetsuits to use cause I did not have a wetsuit. Right. Um, he was just amazing with all the tips, um, when it comes to, uh, managing your pit and what your crew needs to know so that they can help you best. Um, his parents actually were my crew awesome. because we were traveling together and they were there and I, I couldn't find anyone kind of last minute to book a flight to Alabama. Um, so I, I, yeah, I had a month to not only figure the logistics out, but also I kind of switched a little bit of my training to be a little flatter, knowing that the course was going to be flat. But um, by that point, the big stuff had pretty much been done. So it was more just like a mental shift. Right. So what was, so, you know, race days here, the weekends here, it's Friday. And what is your race strategy for the week, for the race? I... Uh, went in with, uh, not as many expectations or as much pressure on myself that I was putting on myself for the Spartan event, but I did 
want to still test myself and see if I could, you know, be a podium contender, be up there with the top girls. Um, I knew coming in a few names that would probably be a, th- a threat, namely, um, of course, Chris Roglowski and Katie Knight and Hannah Carta, Kelly Glenn was another one. All of those, um, well, well, Chris hadn't done World's Toughest before, but um, all of them have had strong results. Um, three of the four of them in World's Toughest, they had done very well. Mm. Um but knowing that um, Chris and Katie were probably going to go out in the lead um, and battle each other a bit, my strategy was kind of uh, to go genuinely at my own pace. If that put me with them to start, fine. If that put me behind them to start, fine. But I wanted to go at a pace that um, felt sustainable. Um, that way I could capitalize on the possibility of maybe them tiring each other out or um, something else happening, um, and kind of just work my way up from there, but always stay in the mix. At least that was my strategy. So you say you, how were, how were you pacing and how was it working? Hmm. I, so it was interesting. It's an interesting format because the first lap of world's toughest is the hot lap where there are no obstacles open. So it's essentially a five mile trail run. Um, and it's going to be your fastest lap of the day. Um, but ideally in an ultra, you want to start very slow, mm-hmm. um, obviously. So uh, that first lap, I was basically pacing off of, uh, I was trying to gauge my breathing a lot just because mm-hmm. that's like one of the better ways to do it. So I just wanted to make sure that um, it felt like a chill effort and I could chat and people were chatting in this lap because everyone's trying to, you know, at least take it a little easy, um, just having conversations, but also keeping in mind where people are a little bit. Um, but knowing that, 24 hours is a long time. And I had been told by many, many people that the race does not start until night hits. So to not really stress about much until it gets dark. And that's when the changes happen. That's when the grind really begins. Um, so I just went out, uh, actually one tip that I found really helpful, um, was Ryan Atkins. And he said that, uh, you should just constantly be checking in with yourself. It's a pace I can hold in 12 hours from now in 16 hours from now, like, will I be able to do this? And if the answer is no, you might want to pull back up a little, little bit. And I thought that was a really good idea on how to gauge the effort. So, so you weren't like, kind of like looking at your watch and seeing how fast you were going. And it was all kind of like a perceived effort type thing, right? Definitely. And that's what, that's been my approach for pretty much any race I've been a part of. Um, I tend to get stressed when I feel tied to numbers and, um, I knew especially for such a long race, um, for me as like, this was my first race beyond 30 ish miles. So, um, to try and hit splits, uh, when there's so much unknown there seemed a little silly to me and Mm -hmm. pretty daunting. So I figured to just go by effort and focus on, how I felt, uh, fueling and, um, trying to control as much as I could there, um, and see what came of it. Right. And you mentioned fueling. So what was your fueling strategy for the race? I, um, went in with the goal, um, that I had been practicing with in my ultras that I did and in my training of about 350 to 400 calories an hour, um, in the form of liquid calories and then solid food and then gels. Um, I'm a big fan of spring energy gels and I've used them for forever. Um, they taste good, but they're very, uh, their ingredients are very unlikely to cause stomach distress. So, um, that's always key in, especially a long event like this, you really want to avoid an upset stomach. Um, so I, in the hot lap, no one really takes anything because it's, it's a shorter mm-hmm. five mile loop. And then after that, um, I came into the pit and my crew had my vest ready and the vest had, um, my first set of calories and, uh, liquid fuel to fuel me through that lap and always a little extra in there just in case I'm feeling, you know, fatigued or like, um, anything. If I feel like shaky, low blood sugar or whatever, just, it's good to carry that with you. Um, and from that point on, it was, grabbing something from the pit every single time and making sure I had something in the middle of most laps out there. Um, so (laughs) my favorite sources of fuel, I think besides all the spring stuff I had, um, 
I, banana nut muffins were a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, ramen became great because it was like one of the few salty things that I was enjoying. Um, and uh, pickles and pretzel pieces the like honey mustard pretzel pieces were the two other like salty options oh they came in clutch um Mm -hmm. i did get a little bit sick of sweet stuff um by the time the sun was going down and i just remember um those pretzel pieces kind of brought me back to life um and and the ramen for sure so yeah it was just trying to um keep a mix uh a rotation going so i wasn't getting tired of anything and also just trying to consume as much as I could without being uncomfortable because the more you can fuel, um, given, or assuming you don't have GI distress, um, the better you're going to be, the better off you're going to be. So when the night hours came, I mean, how were you feeling at that point and about how many miles in were you when it started getting dark? I'm trying to think. I, I remember we were on, we were like way ahead of all the like top women were way ahead of, of a hundred mile pace for a while, but that's kind of how it goes, um, right. in this race. Um, just because the, as more obstacles open up, the laps get slower and slower. And then obviously as, as you go on and you're crossing over like 12 hours, your laps get slower and slower for the most part. Right. Um, and I remember, uh, I mean, it was basically my, my fatal error was, um, I remember thinking that I wasn't cold. <laughs> um, and, definitely did not put on, um, enough layers in time to keep my body warm. Um, I'm someone who runs very hot and I enjoy cold water. Um, so when it kept getting darker and, um, people started putting on layers, I was checking in with my pit and they were like, you sure you don't want this? Like, uh, it is getting a little dark and I would check in with myself and be honest. And I was not feeling cold. Um, but then I think I ended up putting my wetsuit on, um, past 8 p.m. Um, and at that point, everyone else had theirs on. Uh, and I thought it was early enough, but uh, it was that next lap after I had put it on that I was, I noticed I was shivering. And uh, when I closed my eyes, uh, they, they wouldn't open on their oh, own wow. again. They, they wanted to stay closed. Um, and uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was an interesting shift. It was a very, it felt like a very abrupt shift in the race to be honest um and it looking back it's like oh you I, silly mistake like you need to stay ahead in these long events when you're just exposed to water all the time you need to stay ahead of getting cold and even though i didn't feel cold at the time um your your temperature is dropping so um yeah that was that was an interesting uh lesson to learn yeah i remember i think I don't remember what time it was, but I think I helped you up Everest and you were still in like shorts and just like a tank top running. And I was already like in a wetsuit and I was like, Oh my God. I was like, I wish I had her. That's you know? so funny. <laughs> I wish I could resist. I got the cold a lot of comments. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah, but, for sure. Um, it was, it was, uh, it, it, cause you were there. I mean, it, it wasn't freezing for a while. I mean, it did get dark and like the water was cold, but it felt like pretty mild from a temperature and climate standpoint. So I got a little too cocky, I guess. <laughs> and uh, It came back to bite me. Well, and it, it's not a, I don't think it's one of those things where everybody should put on the wetsuit at this point in time. I think it's right. one of those things where it depends on how fast you're moving, how much your body heat is being generated. Because we were doing, this was my first time doing World's Toughest Motor as well. And we oh, cool. were doing it as like a learning experience, you know. And so me and two other friends, we were pacing together, going at like, party pace you know so we were going slower so we knew we better put on the wetsuits early because we weren't going as fast as everybody else was you know to stay as warm so that's why we went into the wetsuits earlier too and uh you know one of my buddies it ended up hurting his ankle so we walked about half of one lap and that got me cold just from slowing down from our jog to a walk and I'm I realized then you know this is all about how you know you put that wetsuit on to keep you warm when you can't keep your body temperature up anymore you know right but but you're right you know it's I think it's kind of like it's it's different strokes for different folks like if you're running hot enough in the winter time you don't have to 
put on as many layers, but if you know you're going out for a jog in the wintertime and you're going to do like a base run where you're only going to be in like zone two, yeah, you might need some long sleeves. You know, it's just like a race. Everybody goes to a race. Totally. It's 30 degrees outside and all the men are out there running without a shirt on. It's because they know <laughs> in that first mile that the only thing that's going to really be cold to them anymore is probably just going to be their hands. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I'm someone who personally, like, even in the winter, I'm typically on any run I'm going, I'm like, I'm hot. I'm sweating through whatever layers I have on. So I know I run warm. Um, and we were moving at a good clip for a lot of the race so that, I don't know if it created the illusion that my body was going to stay warmer for longer, but um, I think that, and uh, you mentioned if you have to slow down at any point, that's obviously going to let your body temperature drop more. Um, I did have one bout of um, nausea for one lap ish. Oh, wow. And looking back at that, I think it was because um, like I said, I like to try and vary the foods I'm eating. And one mm-hmm. of the things that I enjoy having from time to time um, are Bobo's bars. Um, and if anyone has had them before, they're pretty much like oat bricks. And I think, um, having that with some other, um, like carbs, it, they're very fibrous. And Mm -hmm. I think it made me, it kind of just upset my stomach more than I had anticipated. And just that little bit of nausea could have been enough to slow me down just enough to get a little, um, little colder for sure. And Bobo bar, that's, that's kind of like a cliff bar, right? Yes, they're very dense. It's right. it's denser than a cliff bar, I'd say, and it's really just like a brick of oats with mm-hmm. other things in them. Yeah. So good carbs, but definitely more fibrous and a little little uh, denser than probably is advisable. Yeah, and that and that little you know bout with nausea that you had was probably enough to slow you down enough to get cold. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and it was it was that was just before the lap where I did decide to put on a wetsuit. So I think it did kind of go one into the other for sure. So when you put on the wetsuit, it did it not help, or you or was it already too late? I so I put on the wetsuit thinking I feel like this is a good time to put on a wetsuit. I wasn't mm-hmm. I wasn't really cold at that point, but um, it was during that the first lap after I had put it on, um, and I wonder about this too because when you have the wetsuit on, uh, at that point, you're, you're never going to be dry again because the wetsuit mm-hmm. does stay wet. It will keep you warm, but at the same time, the wet material is on your skin. Right. Um, so I'm wondering if there's something to that there, but, um, obviously having that layer on is more beneficial than not. Um, but it was during that lap after I put the wetsuit on that, uh, I started, feeling the cold or the little bit of the chill and the like kind of disoriented stuff. So, um, it kind of all came up more quickly than, uh, it just kind of came up and I wasn't expecting it basically. Right. Well, you still, you know, you, you got 70 miles and you, you placed eighth, which I think was still really good. And Thank you. so I remember seeing you too in the day when you, when you had your wetsuit on, and I think it was right after that fit, that feet spin obstacle. And I, I think I, I commented something. I was like, well, well, I see you finally put a wetsuit on. <laughs> oh, was that you? I think, yeah, <laughs> that it was. right. I remember that. <laughs> um, but cause I want to say like, you were probably one of the last people I saw that were still in shorts, you know, and that's why it's, it yes. stuck out. It, it stuck out. <laughs> I, yeah, I got a, quite a few, like, it was either directly to me that they'd be like, oh my gosh, you're crazy, or I would run by and someone would whisper, she's only wearing shorts. <laughs> it was, it was, so that's a sign. But, I think, I think maybe I made the wrong move. And, but I was thinking to myself too, well, I was like, well, she's, you know, she's out in the cold all the time because I remember you posted some video, you were doing something on the porch and it was like snow outside and you were barefooted <laughs> and I was like, well, she's just tough. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, I've I've just always run hot. I've always liked the cold. Um, we don't. We have our fair share of cold here in Colorado, and where I'm from in New York too. So, um, but yeah, it humbled me for sure. Um, in world's toughest. <laughs> so, did you stay out the whole 24 hours, or did you take like a break in the night when you got cold? I, I yeah, I was forced to uh, when I came in. Um, around 4.30 a.m. was when I came in from um, a lap and uh, my crew noticed I was pretty delirious, couldn't keep my eyes open and just was not feeling too hot. Uh, So it was about two hours of uh, 
trying to get me warm at that point. So I spent from 4.30 to 6.30-ish with my crew trying to get me to eat stuff. Um, Nicole Miracle was helping me, um, and she brought me over to the fire pit. Um, And Steph Bishop, who had dropped at that point, came over. She, like, stayed by my side throughout these two hours just trying to help revive me, gave me a Red Bull. Um, But I... I kind of, it's a little fuzzy. Um, I couldn't really open my eyes. Um, I remember trying to uh, move or Nicole trying to get me to jog to warm up. And uh, there's a video of me standing next to her and she's like, okay, we're going to jog. And I'm just nodding my (laughs) eyes closed. And all I'm doing is moving my arms. I'm like, okay, we're jogging my feet. Nothing else is moving. I was just so out of it. Um, and I'm not sure what really, I guess it could have been the sun coming up. Um, mm. cause you know, around six 30, we were getting a little light. Um, and Nicole really pushed me to get back out there because of the fact that you're an official finisher. If you finish your last lap after 8am. Right. Um, so at that point I would have been, um, that would have been a drop for me if I didn't go out there again. And, uh, she kind of, she, <laughs> I think I was like, not, in the right mind enough to really protest because she kind of just like pushed me out and I went and, um, pretty, pretty much like power walked the whole course and, um, came in and was so done. And it was probably 9am at that point. And, um, after that I got changed and passed out on our tarp for like three hours. (laughs) I mean, shoot. I mean, think about it. You took a two hour break and you finished your last lap before 9 a.m., and you still got 70 miles in. So I figured you left a lot out there on the table, you know, given if you would have, you know, maybe made a, maybe put in the wetsuit, maybe a, a, another lap earlier, you might would have been able to stay out the whole the whole time, and you probably would have had an awesome finish. So, I mean, I, I, I don't think you can really have a lot of regrets here, especially if it was your first time, too. Totally. I mean, I, there's so many positives I'm taking away from it. Um, I obviously would would have loved to know would have loved to have seen um what would have happened if i had made a smarter decision in terms of uh gear and warmth but um my fitness felt amazing i mean i was running in third until i got hypothermic Mm. and um it was at a pace that felt sustainable throughout um and if you look at i was looking at the top 10 and your uh total um, runtime, I think it is. And, uh, I had one of the higher mileages for one of the lowest, uh, run times in the top 10. Um, in terms of, I think my, my final finishing time for 70 miles was 21 ish hours. Right. Um, because I stopped at nine mm-hmm. or what, whatever. Um, right. and then you have, um, higher mileage people with, um, much higher running times as well. So, Proportionately speaking, um, yeah, I would hope that um, I could have uh, eked out a few more laps and had a pretty solid finish, and I'd like to try and uh, get redemption eventually, for sure. Hell yeah. So what was your strategy for, like, the obstacles? Um, What were you using your bypass band on? Uh, I So that was a whole new thing for me, too, is um, after five laps, you get that band to use on an obstacle, and having never experienced any Tough Mudder obstacles, the first uh, few laps where they were open, I was just giving them all a shot to kind of test and see what was going to give me more trouble throughout the the night and the rest of the race. Um, And you get to know also, if you fail something, you get to know the penalty and you get to see whether that's something that it's a challenging enough penalty that you want to avoid altogether and you would use your band on something like that. Or if it's not as challenging of a penalty, um, maybe it's worth it to fail the obstacle and save the energy that would have been used to get through it (laughs) to do the penalty instead. So there's a little bit of, um, trial and error that has to, that, or at least that went into it for me, not knowing the obstacles. I ended up using, um, my band, um, on two obstacles only. And it was only once that I used it on the one obstacle, um, it, was it Satan's mustache? Right. Yes. Is that what it's called? The, the huge cargo net that you have to crawl under. Yeah. Um, the awful so, if you were by yourself. Okay. So that, and that's what, um, that's what happened to me. Uh, I, <laughs> I came upon it at one point and I had to do it by myself and it was one of the most exhausting experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so heavy and, um, you almost felt trapped, like claustrophobic. So I was like, okay, well, if I'm ever by myself again, I am using my band on this. Um, so that happened once where I did have to use my band on it. Um, but otherwise, otherwise I used it on, um, chunky monkey because that 
I think only two men got through that obstacle the entire race. And, uh, it was, the grips were so challenging right. and the penalty for it was exhausting. The it penalty was. was that bouncy ball for mm. what seemed like forever. And it looks silly, but the tax, uh, the, the toll it takes on your quads and legs was ridiculous. Right. <laughs> so that's what I ended up using it on. So I did that penalty the first couple of times thinking, well, I kind of like this because doing this hopping kind of gets your body heat back up, you know, because it, it, it got your heart rate going. But as your legs got tired and sore, the last thing you wanted to do was bounce on that ball. <laughs> so I started so doing true. like you. And, yeah. Um, sorry to interrupt you. Um, I actually just remembered as well. I, I, I lied. I used my band on one other thing, and that was on my last uh, lap when I was coming back from the dead, uh, I used it on Arctic enema because I wanted to do anything to avoid getting in the, uh, the cold, cold water. water. So, <laughs> yeah. See, I, I didn't have a problem with that one. I guess every time I got in it, it the water did feel kind of colder, but I knew that once you got to double rainbow, you would fall in that water and that water, we were blessed because the weather was so warm coming up to that event that week of, yeah. like it was 85 degrees Friday. So most of the water besides Arctic Enema was warm, warmer, right. you know, so if, if that yeah, whole, definitely. if it would have been like 30 degrees that whole week leading up to that event, Oof. all of that water would have been ice cold. It would have been awful. Yeah, that would have had a very different outcome for a lot of people, I think. The water was quite warm for the most part. And up until um, I went hypothermic, I, Arctic Enema wasn't an issue. It was chilly, but like yeah. you said, it was doable. But when I started that next lap, I was still freezing. And uh, I was like, you know what? <laughs> Maybe be smart and try to avoid that uh, for as long as you can. <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah, because we also had like, you had that, what was it, that dingleberry obstacle or something like that where it was the cargo net and it was it was doable but it, man it just taxed my hand so bad yes that and, was that one was challenging holy cow yeah and i was like well all you gotta do is just fill up this shot glass with dirt and it wasn't that hard so but you still had to jump in that water every time you know exactly yeah so that was the thing um there is the there's the give and take of what if the obstacles were challenging or the penalty and for that one, yeah, the penalty was probably the easier route, but, mm -hmm. um, having to still get it, get in and out of the water, um, right. was definitely a, uh, a an added challenge. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So if you could do anything in world's toughest mudder, you know, if there was anything you could change, I'm sorry, what would you, yeah. what would it have been? Um, I honestly don't think I would have changed my pacing at all. In terms of my effort, I feel like I kept it in a really good spot the entire time. I think the two things I would change were um, putting on my wetsuit earlier, probably at least a couple laps earlier, <laughs> um, and dealt with maybe feeling a little hot to um, stay warm later. And then I would change my fueling just a bit to where I didn't jump right into trying to consume a bunch of different solid foods, maybe stick to the simple like spring gels that I like, right. and then um, slowly trickle in uh, the banana nut muffin and the peanut butter sandwich and things like that instead of kind of going at that from the start just to give my stomach a chance to, to settle in a little bit better and maybe avoid that round of nausea that I had. Right. I love the spring energy gels. They're really good gels, but my, my girlfriend had bought a pack of them and it was like a variety pack and there was one mm -hmm. flavor in there and it was like a, I forget what it was, but it was like a spearmint something. And it like, it oh, tasted like a piece of menthol bubble gum or something, man. It was, it was rough. I was like, I can't do that one. <laughs> I forget a what it was. A mint one. Interesting. I, there is mint in, um, I think it's the, the in Hill Aid, which is like a mango base. There's a little bit of mint. Yeah. Um, they also have like a an electrolyte mix that has mint in it as well. That it's a concentrate, so it can be super strong if you take it by itself. But if you dilute it in water, it's better. Um, I definitely have my favorite flavors too, like yeah. um, Canterbury and Awesome Sauce are the ones I always tell people to go to because they're like strawberry or applesauce flavored, and those are pretty like well liked flavors. Um, yeah, I like those. 
they're great too because um like the gels in general just because their consistency they don't freeze or um, melt uh, just because of what they're made of so when it gets really cold in a racer when you're training and um, other gels might harden up or chews might harden up these kind of stay the same consistency so you don't have to worry about like oh shoot i can't eat my fuel it's frozen right so are you planning on doing world stuff a smutter this year as of right now that is the plan um i don't i have not heard anything about spartan bringing back their 24-hour race which is a big big bummer for me i would i would really give a lot to try and go to tahoe and do that 24-hour there but um if this is the 24-hour obstacle race option i definitely um, would like to be a part of it again right what is it that you like about the tahoe venue if you don't mind me asking Oh, yeah. Um, Well, I think part of it is the memories I have attached to it. Um, I first went to Tahoe in 2017 after I qualified for the World Championships. And at the time, I really did not know many people in the sport at all. I went there um, alone and um, just tried to, like, find my way. And it was actually um, Cassidy Watton, um, who I had met at a New Jersey Spartan race, she kind of took me under her wing there and um, included me in her group for the weekend. And through her, I got to meet so many friends that introduced me to more friends in the sport. So that was a big turning point weekend for me. Um, But then that was also my first time exploring out West. And um, I was just in complete awe of the, the mountains, the scenery, the trails. Um, I couldn't believe it. And it was just, just, beautiful places I had ever been. So, um, I think I love the, the high Alpine, um, feel with the, the, the fire roads going up the mountain and it's just like trees and this, um, amazing, uh, view and, um, just the, what else? I think, uh, even the swim was super fun to me. I just thought that added a really crazy element that I had not been exposed to before in a Spartan race. So, um, and the Olympic village, it's just a place with so much history. Um, it's just, just a really special, it's got a special feel to it. When, when you get there, it's just, this energy is incredible. Hmm. Um, did you have a problem with, you know, you know, races being an elevation that did that bother you at the time coming from New York? I, yeah. So I, um, the first year I went, so 2017, I don't think I was, I probably just wasn't fit enough to, to really know the difference. Um, I was worried about it for sure, but, um, I didn't feel like it was terribly affecting me. The next year though, when I had trained a lot harder and like knew where my fitness was at and was able to push more in 2018, um, I definitely felt a difference, um, and felt like it detracted from my performance. Um, and it wasn't until, um, I moved out here to Colorado that, um, I was able to understand the effect of altitude mainly because now when I go visit home at sea level, I'll never forget the first time I after being here for a while. It was like I had grown a third lung. It was wild. Huh? That's cool. Okay, so we're getting close on an hour here, and I know you got to go, but I always ask everybody that comes on the show the same questions, and I'm going to ask you two. Sure. And you may have already answered this question, but to this point, what has been your most favorite race and why? Ooh. Um, it's really hard for me not to say the Utah Ultra I did this year. Um, it was my first ultra ever and uh i really poured a lot into preparing for it on the road to what i was hoping would be tahoe and uh utah is another incredible venue another you know west um western trails like uh higher altitude um stunning stunning place and uh i just went out there and did what i was hoping um I guess I should say I did uh, what was I, w- I was capable of on that day, and it ended up being more than I was hoping for. Um, the course was beautiful. I felt incredible. Um, my coach, Ian Hosek, was there kind of cheering me on through the laps and, like, following me when he could. So that was really fun and just, like, very meaningful to have someone so invested in my performance besides myself. Um, and to cross the finish line and be told that um, – only Chris Mendoza had finished before me. I was like, 
I had no idea. I didn't know I had gotten second overall. Um, and it just felt like a culmination of a lot of work up until that point because I had wanted to try an ultra for so long. Um, and you, it's just one of those days that you, you're just so grateful you get to have when you feel that good for, you know, seven hours. Um, that's, that's pretty rare. And it was, um, it was amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. So now I want the reverse of that question. What's been your, <laughs> your least exciting race, the race you hated the most or, you know, dislike the most. Some people don't like, well, I don't hate any races. So tell us that race. <laughs> and this is from this past year or just overall? Anytime. And it doesn't even have oh, to be boy. an OCR race. It could be any kind of race. Interesting. Um, I, it might have to be, um, the, <laughs> the Asheville Spartan soup. Oh no, no, sorry. The West Virginia beast in 2021. Um, I, I think I got heat exhaustion. Um, I started out feeling great coming from altitude to sea level. I was like, this is awesome. And it was, I think when we started, it was 80 something degrees and 90 something percent humidity at seven 30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've never dealt well with that. Um, and I remember it, it went quickly from, you know, feeling okay to, trying not to die. <laughs> and, um, I, I got to her, uh, no, I got to Tyrolean Traverse, uh, about 11 miles in, I think. And, uh, I remember it's never taken that much out of me to do that obstacle. And when I hit the bell, I literally just let go of the rope and laid there <laughs> on the ground for like 20 seconds. Cause I like was so lightheaded that I couldn't get up. And I was to the point where you were almost uh, getting goosebumps because you're too hot, that kind of thing, where mm -hmm. you're like way over the the recommended, uh, you know, heat level <laughs> for your body. And it just was, it was such a struggle. Um, it was a terrible finish and uh, just a very disappointing and uh, difficult race for me, for sure. And the venue was so cool. I wish I could have enjoyed it more, but I just was not having a good day out there. Yeah, and that was the year where we got into all the hornet nests, too. I remember that. Yes, I got stung. Um, and that, yeah, that was another thing. I hadn't been stung by a bee in a long time, and I had to remember what insect does that to you. I was like, <laughs> what just bit me? And then realized we were being, like, stung by bees all over. That was nuts. Yeah, that race is always difficult for me because I've been there every year. It's been in West Virginia. And mm. this or, this past year was the first year I didn't just – try to cramp up coming out of the swim you know it's like yeah. always from the swim to the finish line it just seemed like you had to throttle back a little bit because you could just feel the cramp coming on and I just mm. know a lot of people struggled with that as well but that was always a problem with me right yeah that's definitely an extra element to consider um we don't often get the swim and it's something that if you're not like training for um it's just a very different stress on the body that is hard to recover from right okay Callie so my last question is is I want to know all your secrets like what is your <laughs> race prep like going into a race weekend what do you do Friday to prepare what do you do Saturday morning to prepare and if there's a Sunday race do you do anything specifically after a Saturday race to prepare for that race What's okay, all your secrets? I like this question. <laughs> um, okay, so Friday, um, I am I'm a big believer in a shakeout run of some sort. I typically my body doesn't seem to respond to obviously rest is important, but I've noticed that I don't feel my best after rest days. I still take them because I know I need them, but um it seems like my body takes longer to get back into a groove after one. So I like to try and get um a short run in, you know, twenty five to thirty minutes with some sort of intensity in there just to get the legs ready to move. Um, that's one big important thing for me. Um, as far as fueling goes, I try to just prioritize carbs a little more. So, um, it's not necessarily trying to take in a bunch more carbs, but mm -hmm. instead making carbs more the focus of my meals. So, um, maybe instead of eggs and toast, it could be like a, a bagel with banana and peanut butter, just up that carb level a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, and for dinner, usually simple is better. Um, and I, one of my favorite pre-race meals is uh, something like salmon with uh, a bunch of rice and uh, a little butter on the rice because <laughs> that's like my favorite thing. Right. Um, and a little salad of some sort. I know some people don't 
uh, respond well to having many veggies. And if that's the case, maybe just have more rice or something, but, um, I enjoy a little bit of a salad. So something like pretty, uh, simple that I feel like will settle well in my stomach. Um, I don't stress too much about sleep the night before. I obviously try to get a good sleep, but, Mm -hmm. um, it's really the sleep that you get in the, you know, week or so leading up to the event and just in your life in general, that's going to make more of a difference. So, um, I don't stress about, um, sleeping, although I do try to get to bed at a decent hour, given we're going to get up early. Um, and, uh, pre-race the morning of, I try to have breakfast kind of two hours out. I found is like a good time for me where I'm not feeling super hungry by the start, but I'm also not still feeling full. And that's usually a bagel with, uh, peanut butter and, uh, maybe half like open face, one peanut butter, one butter. Cause again, butter's like my favorite thing. Right. Um, and a banana and then my coffee. Cause I love coffee as well. Um, and then I always keep a gel, with me for the start. Um, sometimes it's good to like top off your, uh, glycogen, like just get your, keep your blood sugar high right before the start. So sometimes I'll take that, um, in the 20 minutes prior to the race and also have my fuel on me for the race. Um, and that's kind of uh, also getting a good warm up in. I'm mm-hmm. a fan of a longer warm up um, before the race. That's always key. And then if I'm, planning to race a back-to-back um i try to get a little bit of a cool down in after the race it, like the slowest of jogs is totally fine or even just walking around a little bit um yeah. so you're so nothing really locks up and then um if i can find a place to take an ice bath or like get in a creek um i think not only is the cold helpful but water is a um it's it acts as a form of compression so it's really good for your muscles and it also like unloads all of the gr- all of like gravity when you get in it. So it's, it feels good on your back when you've just been, you know, working really hard. It's just a nice like way to decompress as well. Um, and then fuel, fuel is huge, um, in back to back races mm. I found. So you're basically, your goal should almost be to be eating nonstop. And that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but <laughs> after the race, you want to get a good meal in and you shouldn't be skimping on, um, carbs especially but protein as well for recovery um leading into uh racing the next day as well it's it's uh it's funny you'll things kind of go right through you in terms of i found that sometimes i'm just depleted after a race enough that i'll have a meal and then an hour later i could have another full meal and that's when you got to just lean into that because um i found that that more often than not will leave you feeling more energized than if you are trying to you know um limit what you're taking in um at any point do you have like a weird kind of like race superstition (laughs) i I was hesitant to mention this but um (laughs) i i think the one thing that i do pretty much have to do is shave my legs before a race that's like i if i don't do that it just feels wrong and i don't know if i've ever not done that but you just want to feel fast and like clean and ready to go so i think that's the one thing that i do it's aerodynamic too right so it makes exactly run faster. exactly <laughs> right I, I i got a buddy that uh runs uh michael strobel i don't know if you know who he is and uh he uh he sleeps in his race kit the night before like the shorts he runs oh, wow. in the next day he, he'll sleep in them and i just thought that was pretty neat so it's he, he told me that and i was like huh you know i bet a lot of people have kind of like a little race superstition like that so i've kind of tried to throw that in there every once in a while too and ask people and see what they say I love that. Um, and this is, I guess, to include my full routine, um, this is not so much a superstition, but I did forget to mention that, um, I mean, I'm not trying to make a plug, but I do take beet powder, beet elite before every race. Um, right. That's something I, I love to do. And that's another, I mean, I guess you could call it a superstition that if I didn't take it, I would be like, oh, shoot, I didn't take it. But right. um, that's also part of the, the pre-race. Yeah, routine the race routine, sure. the race routine. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Callie, I'm all out of questions. Is there anything you want to add to this before we sign off? Um, well, thank you. First of all, this was an awesome conversation. Um, and I just kind of shouted them all out already, but, um, spring and, uh, human have been, uh, very supportive of my, uh, journey as an athlete and, um, working with VJ shoes has been amazing as well. So, um, I'm just grateful to them and, um, yeah, if anyone is ever interested in reaching out about, 
training. Um, if you know someone who needs some math tutoring, um, great. Uh, just feel free to shoot me a message. What would be your least favorite subject to a tutor? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, so I've never been a big fan of science just because I don't, honestly, I don't know why, but, um, I, especially earth science, I don't enjoy work. Like I can do it, but it's not a subject that appeals to me. So I'm, I'm probably gonna have to go with earth science. <laughs> you know, and that's weird because we like being out on the trails and trail running. I know. Do, do you think knowing the science of it all would ruin it? <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't know what that is. It just never, I also, I, I won't say his name, but my, my earth science teacher in school was not the best. So uh, I think that put a damper on the experience for yeah, me. Um, but yeah, I just, I just never was compelled to, to learn more about it. So. <laughs> well, Hey Callie, I really appreciate you taking time to do this. I appreciate you uh, asking me to be on. This has been so fun. Well, cool. We'll talk to you later. Awesome. Thanks Scott. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Callie again for taking time to talk to us. Also, go check out Monkey Grips. That's Monkey Grips with two E's. Um, my first race of the year is not going to be until Atlanta, so I hope to see everybody there. It's going to be a trifecta weekend, and Conyers is always a great race. Cold, hot, rainy, dry, it's always a great race and always a fun venue. We always have a good time there. Also, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and hey, we'll see you at the next race. Thanks.